Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. It's June 5th, 2014. This is On The Grid, episode 67. This week on the show, we talked about Apple's WWDC event, mostly about Swift. Here we go. Gentlemen, how was your week? Uh, for once, I had a normal week. It wasn't, wasn't good or bad. I really appreciate, Dan, that whenever Matt asks that question, you seem to genuinely un- like not expect it. Like you don't, you don't hear it coming. You have to think for a yeah. second, despite <laughs> yeah. the fact that we leave the show every single week with it. And you're always like, oh, God. Oh, fuck. I didn't see this coming. Mm. Guys, is this going to be on the test? My week, my week, my week. Jeez. Uh, I don't know. Let me, let me check my calendar. I'm going to get my calendar open real quick. <laughs> this, is a, this is a bit of a crazy week for, for us. I, uh, I haven't shared this with you guys yet because it's been a long time coming, but um. Our uh, our office is going to foreclosure auction tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., which oh, is wow. an exciting thing. Yeah, our, our landlord, uh, who we, we moved into our office 13, 14 months ago, and uh landlord seemed like a nice enough guy. He's a property developer, had a bunch of buildings in the city, and he, uh, you know, we paid him our rent. And he, he was actually, his office was in our same building, so he used to go just put our rent checks under the door if he wasn't there or hand them to him if he was there. And uh, after a few months of doing that, uh, one of the other tenants in the building came upstairs and he was like, hey, guys, just so you know, we don't have a landlord anymore. And we were like, what do you, what do you mean we don't have a landlord? Like, is, is he gone? Did he, is he, did he die? Is, is he have a new office somewhere? Like, what happened to him? He's like, nah, nah, he, I'm pretty sure he fled the country. I'm pretty sure he fled the country. So we asked some more questions and it turns out this guy was going through a bad divorce. His wife was trying to sue him for all the money in buildings that he's worth. So uh, he just fled to the Dominican Republic and defaulted on his mortgage. Wow. Well, yeah, it's very exciting. So tomorrow morning is the foreclosure auction, which who knows what's going to happen there. But uh, that's that's what I'm dealing with this week is trying to figure out if uh, we're going to have an office in the foreseeable future. Oh, well, that's not good. No, what? no, it's not good. It's very <laughs> stressful, actually. Uh, it's pretty much the most stressful thing in my life. But uh, I got to I got to learn a whole bunch about foreclosure and about bank lenders and commercial le- uh, commercial loans and the small business association and and can i assume you just stopped paying rent when he disappeared and you just got a free place to be for a little bit well least? so we uh we obviously we stopped paying rent when there was nowhere to pay it to uh so for five or that's six, a really good strategy I so, like that. so for five or six months we, we did not pay rent but he did sort of flee the country with our eight thousand dollars security deposit which we're never getting back uh, and also when he left the country the property management consultancy that placed us in the building, like found us to rent it out and manage the property for him. Uh, they came back to us and they're like, hey, by the way, Michael didn't pay our fee. He doesn't do that. We get to come in and uh, you know assume your rent uh, in his place. So uh, so they, we had to pay them like $3,000 or some stupid amount of money. Um, so at, financially, at the end of the day, we pretty much it was a wash. We didn't pay rent for a while until the bank figured out we were still there and started charging us rent. Uh, and then we had to... Uh, we lost all his money because Michael stole it from us. His name's Michael. I don't like this guy. So it, it's a very exciting week. Uh, I got to learn a whole bunch of new things, which is what you get to do as a small business owner. Uh, I will take this time to, again, reiterate, never start your own business. Uh, it's so much work, and it's not worth it. Um, no, it is worth it. I, I say that all the time, but it's really worth it. Um, but yeah, so that's that's my week. I get to get up tomorrow morning, put on a fancy uh, suit and tie, go to the bank, pick up a $15,000 cashier's check, and then maybe buy our building, or maybe not buy our building. Depends. Buy the building. Ooh. Yeah, so we're going to go to the foreclosure auction. We might buy it. Who knows? Wow. For that little amount of money? That's all it costs to buy the whole no, no. building? You have to have that much money to get in, in the door to the auction. You have to like oh. show, the, show the check to make sure that you're a serious bidder. 
Uh, oh, okay. And then once you get into the door, then the auction happens. And we have no idea what it's going to go for, but it seems stupid to me not to go, because what if they're like, 10 bucks, going once, going twice? You know, I would pay 10 bucks. so... Sure. Um, obviously, it's an exaggeration, but if the move, if the building is crazy cheap, then why the hell not? So, uh, well, if I learned anything this week, all of Tobias Fair Jones fonts are only worth ten dollars. So, why <laughs> yeah. couldn't the entire building be worth ten dollars? Something like that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, yeah, that's my week. Very exciting, and uh, maybe I'll give you guys an update on the next show. <laughs> we find I out what's going on with their office. I would like to know if you uh, are now your own landlord. That would be an interesting development. Yeah. Well, so far we've had no landlord because the bank has this cool legal loophole where they can collect rent, but they don't have to be a landlord, which is fun. You get to pay them, but they won't fix leaks or anything. Um, okay. It's crazy. I, I, You know, you hear stories about people fleeing the country. You see it in movies or read it in books, but you never think anybody you know is going to flee the country. You didn't think it's a thing you could just do, but he just did it. He fled the country. WWDC happened this week. Actually, there's a bunch of nerds all over San Francisco. Oh, that's different. What that stands for. People might, might not know what the WWDC is. What's it stand for? Worldwide Developers Conference. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> so anyways, they're in town. And they always kick it off every year with the uh, the big old keynote. And Tim Cook and it's Craig. I can never say his last name. I think it's, a, I think it's Ferengi, like the, like the Star Trek. Oh, it race. is. Oh, my yes. God. That's hilarious. Ferengi. Yeah. That's where they got it from. Yep, for sure. So they announced a bunch of stuff. Uh, one is OS X Yosemite. It's the next major release. I think it's coming out in the fall. Um, has a lot of new interesting updates. And then there's also, uh, obviously, iOS 8. There was a lot of updates. So it was a lot of, like, smaller improvements that they were doing just uh, overall in, in both operating systems. But it seemed like there was a bigger focus on developer tools this time around. Like, there was the health kit. There was, like, things like Sprite Kit for gaming. Swift, the programming language Swift, is probably go. the biggest thing that they announced. Yeah, and that like all the other stuff is fine. I mean, I, it, I iCloud Drive, that's something, right? Yeah, I mean, like that stuff doesn't really interest me that much. The thing that really interested me though was Swift, uh, mostly because it's just something that they don't normally do. So I guess I mean we could talk about all the other stuff, but I really want to know what you guys think about Swift though. Because naturally, as designers, we've picked to talk about the programming language. Oh, sh- I understand that. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I mean, there are a lot of little bits. I, I thought the most interesting was that, that we're finally starting to pull together the UI. Besides besides Swift being a very interesting topic, yeah. starting to pull together the UI and make big old radical Apple changes that piss off the world for now and uh, maybe later will seem like not such a big bad idea. I don't know. I just seemed like the, it seemed like the internet, especially the design community, was a buzz about Helvetica replacing what is it, Lucida Grande yeah. as the system operating font and everybody getting very upset that helvetica is not very readable it seems like it's just it's prepped for retina displays are coming so who cares what font it is we don't have to worry about perfectly created pixel fonts anymore we get to use helvetica yeah sure and I, like i think the point that i made on twitter was that like designers are probably going to bitch and moan about it like they already are uh but i really wonder if anybody who's a not designer would even care like are they even going to bring it up that the font's different and they don't like it definitely not never nope. nope it won't happen nope 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 i mean that's interesting um 
but it's not that interesting. It's yeah, not that interesting. I'm bored by our own podcast right I know. now. I'm falling asleep over <laughs> I here. I know. I feel like we have to address it a little tiny bit. Uh, yeah. Some shapes. Aren't we supposed to be the graphic designers yeah. of the... Yeah, I know. Some shapes I don't and care. colors changed. Because you know what? Nothing really changed. Nothing really yeah. changed all that much, and it didn't really do anything. Fuck the UI stuff. Let's, really let's talk about programming languages. That's all way right. more When you talk about you should call it a typeface instead of a font, and they chose a new typeface for the computer system. It's very... <laughs> Big, really big change. The subtle stuff, uh, crystal goblet, whatnot, etc. This Bob Ross takes on Helvetica. That's not what Bob Ross fucking sounds like. Are you serious? Nah, uh, you just. I just about anytime I hear like a kind of monotone, boring voice, I think Bob Ross. So now I think of Andy with an afro. That was my. That was my boring business guy voice. I'm so sorry. Uh, my. Uh, yeah, the uh, ROI is pretty bad on our investment here. We're gonna have to go ahead and just uh, punt it for for now. Come back to it tomorrow. That's good. <sighs> All right, so look, I, I mean, I think Swift is, I, I, I don't tweet about these things anymore. Uh, there was a time in my life where I would, you know, watch the event and live tweet it and talk about all the fun stuff with all my friends online. But I, I, to now, honestly, like, the whole thing was coming up and I was like, I'm closing Twitter. Like, I don't want to read this. I got back to work on what I was working on. I didn't watch the event itself. Uh, but then I heard the, the cheers and shouts from the other room where the event was being watched by my by my coworkers and had to sort of investigate. I mean, I think Swift is a very, very, very big deal, especially for, for people that, you know, obviously build these apps for a living. And it's crazy when you think about kind of how intimate and important something like a programming language is to the way someone works. Um, you know, like we obviously have our affection for, you know, our personal tools. I might use Illustrator to make a website. You might use Photoshop. You might work in code. You might do whatever you want to do. We kind of have our little preferences. But, you know, interesting, a new programming language is like, it's a whole new, like, system, a whole new understanding of how the world might come to be. Uh, and that's like, that's a huge difference. We never get that kind of, of excitement in our industry. It's kind of upsetting. Uh, I was just jealous, of basically, of these people, like, pouring over the 200-some page uh, document and going, oh, look, you can do this. Oh, God, they simplified this. Look at all this cruft that's gone. We don't ever get that. Why don't we get that? I want that. Well, because aren't we... <laughs> it seems like a lot of our life is just, like, trying to replicate what's on the page. Like, oh, man, the web can finally do this, and I can make it look like a magazine finally. Like, programming languages, I feel like like the idea of Swift, I'm sure there are programmers reading it right now saying, like, wow, I couldn't actually do that before. Not like I couldn't replicate the uh, this idea in real life. Like I couldn't actually execute that and solve this problem. Like, I don't know. It just uh, a lot of we're still a little bit stuck in the world of like just trying to make the web look as good as the graphic design world before it. And we haven't quite gotten to the point where we're trying to make it look better than anything ever has before. So but programming is already there. It's it's moving forward. And it makes our tools and even our whole industry, honestly, feel so stale because it's like we still are just picking the colors and the shapes pretty much. And maybe now we're picking the transitions because now, you know, these animations and this sort of keyframes are really important, these in-between spaces. But, uh, you know, now there's a whole new way of thinking about – and, I, I mean, everything's obviously made up of the things that came before. You know, people are comparing a lot of parts of Swift to JavaScript and to Ruby or to some other sort of uh, language like that. But I don't know. It's just – it seems so exciting to me. I, I Like, I, I had a similar – feeling when i started using sass for the first time to you know oh, it's yes. obviously not a programming language it's just a basic you know it gives you a little bit of logic the smallest amount of logic uh on top of css which is just you know formatting basically but this the idea that it like changed the entire way i thought about uh how the back end of a website or how the you know style sheet and website would work uh, it, it kind of opened up the whole world to me and the, the idea of them 
getting a much more powerful sort of version of that. It's just, I mean, I'm just jealous. And uh, I, I want to get back into making apps now. And now that it seems like it's even more approachable uh, of a language and everyone else is kind of starting again from, from the beginning with their previous knowledge to inform them. I want to do it again. Actually, that was the first thing I thought it was like, oh, I felt so behind on the idea. I'm trying to play with Objective-C and like going through this tutorial of I'm trying to put together my own to-do app and like, oh, man, I'm just like a million miles behind on everything. Yeah, I, I mean, the idea feeling. of a brand new programming language, I'm like, well, I'm at the same place as everybody else right now, which one is not true because yeah. I don't have this, the, you know, the computer science background to back that up. Yeah. But just that idea. And then also the immediate feedback. The thing that struck me the most was that not only did they design a new programming language, they designed a system in which to work in the programming language that is more intuitive to people who are maybe less familiar with it and yes. even just more intuitive in general. The fact that there's like the editor and then to the right of it, like the live feedback to give you not just like a little red dot that says you fucked up this line, <laughs> but more you made me, all right, error, but more importantly, like, hey, one plus two is three. Not just one plus two, let's hope this works when we run it. I mean, I think that kind of instant feedback is going to make programming much more accessible to um, people whose brain maybe works a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah, and I'm actually glad that they did something like that, only because, like, if you look at the book, um, the ebook that they sent out for Swift, like, it's still in a programmer's um, uh, language, not Swift as a language, but other kind of language. Because you look at it, and they're talking about things like, subscripts and inheritance and initialization and all of these other things that like a non-programmer is not going to know what it is until they have to read the whole book and probably some other stuff to try to get an understanding like a base understanding uh but i think it's still good because aside from the book that's teaching you how to write in swift there's going to start being a lot of uh different materials that come out that show you how to do basic things and the fact that you can go in line by line like see the things start to just come together is really really cool and being able to like try out different things, like even with like designers, we could probably go in uh, for uh, something maybe that's pre-built like an animation or a transition or something like that and tweak the little things just to be able to get something right. That seems pretty cool um, because then you don't have to worry about builds. You don't have to worry about all this other like uh, inaccessible sort of thing that designers don't typically have to worry about. You could just kind of go in and literally just play around. There's something incredibly intriguing about the design of a programming language, not just what a programming language can do, but the way that it relates to humans and knowing that like, all right, we started with punch cards that are like the least human things possible. And we're slowly working our way towards like somehow making the human and the computer communicate in a way that is more conducive to the human than where we started from. Um, did you guys ever read wise poignant guide to Ruby when even before Ruby on rails was a huge deal? Did you ever see this? Yeah, I actually have read that. Yeah, I, I, I just remember that it being like, I don't know, maybe we were 17, 18 year old kids when that was popular. Does that sound about right? Oh, I definitely didn't read it back then. I read it like a year ago, but. but. Oh, okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> no, I mean, I, just, I, I think I've had a similar experience to you where it was like, you know, I'd always kind of just thought, oh, programming languages, you just, you know, make an interface for someone to tell the computer what to do. But there's so much nuance there. And the thought of like different languages are optimized for different things. Um, and the, in general, the kind of like sliding scale is that the easier it is for you to do something quickly and to do it in an intuitive way as a programmer, the longer and more inefficient the program is going to be to run. Uh, right. So, you know, in general, computers are powerful and getting more powerful. So most people, as I understand, tend to favor ones on the intuitive quick side of the spectrum. 
and that's where you get your Ruby and your Rails. And then when something is going too slowly or processing too slowly or a server is getting too expensive, you have to sort of work your way down the stack to lower level things to write less and less sort of friendly, approachable kind of languages uh, to optimize something further or to make it work the way it's really supposed to work. Um, and it's so interesting to me to think that, you know, you can kind of choose a place in the spectrum where you want to be. If you want to build like some really super efficient, uh, you know, very simple software, you can go low level and build, a, you know, a, I guess you could build an assembly line to-do list if you wanted to. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do an assembly code to-do list, but you could. Um, it's just interesting to think you can sort of choose that, on that spectrum where you want to be as a, as a developer. Yeah, I, I, I brought up the, the why thing because it was the first time I ever really thought about the idea of designing a programming language that almost reads like human language, which is like a totally new idea to me. Cause it always just like, Oh, I don't know. You just got to communicate with the computer. So you got to talk like a computer. And it's a good point that like, anytime you make that concession, you're just, you're just putting more work on the computer side to kind of translate that into essentially at some point ones and zeros. Right. Um, but that, but that also is kind of what we're tasked with all the time. It's like, why anyone you remember that that article you posted a long time ago about why graphic designers ruin the web i mean it's kind of like I never forget that that's article. the exact same that is the exact same balance of like well what's the most efficient thing if we just put black text on a white page and we just let it be it's going to load really really fast and then the other side of it being like well if we need to style these things to potentially be more readable which that that's a whole other argument i don't want to get into it right now but there's that sliding scale of we can style it the way that we think works better here or the way that we want to, but we're increasing load time. We're increasing the idea that maybe this is going to function every, every browser. That's, that's as much the design decision as just designing it the way you want to. It's a much more important design decision, I think, than, than how it looks. That's one of the things that I think people that are moving over from maybe a more traditional background of graphic design to products or to the web or to something digital need to grasp and grapple with is like the biggest decisions you make are not going to be things you can point to and say look look at the decision i made it's going to be something you have to explain that's behind the scenes there's a flip side to this which is you know i can get excited about a new programming language and about sort of not just the the power of what programming can do but the way in which it changes the way you think about things uh like i think thinking about the world as a system is a very good and powerful thing to do and kind of enlightening and programming teaches you that in a very concrete way um there's a flip side, and this is another article I posted in the uh, in the subreddit. I think it's applicable, so I'll bring it up. Um, the article was about sort of uh, the trade-offs that we get as we sort of stop teaching kids in schools about handwriting uh, and start handing the keyboard sooner sooner rather than later. Uh, and it may seem like a very sort of simple thing, like oh, well, we have keyboards now. Most people don't have to write in their job or sort of you know write uh, professionally, so we might as well just give them a keyboard earlier because that makes sense. That's what they're going to be doing as an adult. But um, there's this sort of uh, interesting thing that happens where now you're putting this tool into this child's hands and you're sort of shaping their understanding of the world entirely based on a system that we very actively designed and sort of chose what it should be. Uh, and the beautiful thing about a pencil and a piece of paper or, you know, a crayon uh, or a piece of chalk on the sidewalk is that it's just totally open canvas and no one's telling you how to interact with it, what to do. Uh, it's like there's the lines are so blurry. You can do whatever you want. Um, so it's just a sort of counter to this, you know, all the power of programming, but at least in kids or even in adults, you think it kind of in some ways limits creativity. Um, so I, I, do, what do you think? Do you think that programming is a great thing for creativity or do you think that you have to come to it with some creativity first and it's actually really bad at nurturing creativity? No, I think it's good for creativity. I, I think it's just all in how it's framed. Like if we're talking about uh, kids being introduced to programming languages or various other types of technology, I think it's just how you frame everything. I think there's some good examples of this. Like Lego actually put out a set 
where like there was an app that was part of a whole set with actual like Lego pieces. So there was this whole interactive thing that you had with the technology side and then with the physical like toy side. I thought that was always You talking about Mindstorms? Yeah. Yeah, Mindstorms is the best. Yeah, and then there was other stuff. And I think like, I think if things got to a point where they became more and more complimentary, like even like the Technic sets, I think that's what they're called. Um, like the things where you got to construct and like things will actually move and you can make like cars and robots and stuff. It was like the, the, the more grown up version of Legos. I actually think that if they complemented that with even some simple kind of like Arduino, like programming language, something uh, so that you could program something and get maybe like the robot to move. I think that is very, very good for creativity because not only do you get to like physically construct something, which is in itself, you know, in a way creative. But yeah, you get to take it to the next level and have that programmatically do something. I think that can open up all uh, things for a lot of kids where they can say like, oh, I want to take this and actually like build real robots that do different things. So I think it's good Yeah, if we just gave them a programming language, say like, okay, you can make a to-do list app. That, that, that's not going to go anywhere. It, it, it's really just how you frame it. I'm, I'm not even going to say that, say, make this app over, you know, that's already been done isn't going to go anywhere. That's a starting point. Um, but isn't isn't all learning kind of just manipulating some system or another? Uh, I'm sure, you know, people love uh, romanticizing pen and paper as like the most free thing in the world. But a programming language is as creative as you want to be. Like any any good programmer is a very creative human being to be able to solve the problems that they solve. So I don't really see that being a problem at all. I guess I just don't know. Maybe I just don't know the result of like if you introduce a kid into a system that early, does that would that actually make a difference? I would think not, but yeah. maybe. Does anyone have any evidence? Well, probably not. But I, I think the thing that's going through my mind is it, sh- it should be introduced as an option. Uh, as much as there's other alternatives, so whether it's painting or it's building or, or doing anything, cooking, whatever. I, I think if it's introduced as an option, then I think there's going to be the kids that gravitate towards it. You know, like the, there could be the kids that go and try to make a simple game or or something and if they get that taste of that 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 one little project or something like that that works out and it makes them excited then it could open up a way for themselves to be able to express express themselves creatively i think i guess all i'm saying is just that like if if a programming language is restrictive and is restricting someone's creativity then so is a piano oh yeah Um, sure Yeah, yeah yeah You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure I'm sure you could take it to the farthest degree and be like, yeah, piano is restrictive because you can't hit the notes in between the keys or something and get very extreme with it. Yeah. But that I, I see that as pretty analogous. Like, all right, yeah, you're playing with a device that was invented by somebody else, but that does, how much is that really limiting you? Yeah, and there's another aspect, which was more kind of what the article was about, I guess, which is kind of about just how your brain works and manipulating these sort of abstract systems and tying your learning to some sort of physical space uh, is much better than uh, having a sort of abstract digital space to try and attach things to. We're very sort of physical in our, our minds. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I can't I can't decide what I think about it. I, I, at the end, like I, my feeling is that yes, it everything is about attitude and context. And if you raise your kids to be balanced and you know use a computer as well as a pencil as well as a wad of clay, then it's probably only a good thing. Well, yeah, so I have a, a question that kind of goes back to specifically about Swift. Um, it seems like 
like the way that everybody's framing it is that it's simpler and it's more accessible, uh, which is good. That means that more people can go in and play around with the idea of making an app or or, or whatever. Um, it's worth and, noting, I, I have not really heard it described as accessible so much as efficient. I don't know if it's like anybody can go in and write Swift. It's super easy. I think it's more that if you know what you're doing, you can get something done much more quickly without with a lot less sort of busy work and uh, sort of unnecessary uh, sort of quick things, uh, is my understanding at least. Yeah, so the, the accessible part comes into um, some of the examples where you have to write out an entire function to be able to do a particular task within the program. And that that has been turned into just like a one line like that. That's the accessibility part that people are talking about. So like you don't have to go through a lot of the trudging that you have to do with like a traditional C based language. Um, that's really, you know, that that is the big difference. It's kind of like how Rails is like where it tries to do a lot more for you. And uh, this, the question that comes to my mind is whether or not um, if things become easier or faster or more efficient to write, is that going to affect the quality of apps that are submitted to the app store? Is that going to affect um, how they do a lot of the quality control? Because I mean, there is the gate where they have to go in and they do some automated testing, but they go through the to check the quality of whatever the app is that you're submitting. No, ultimately, I think it's just going to make apps better, and I think that's probably why they did it. It's, it's if anything, this whole new programming language is just a really good affirmation that. Uh, Apple does still really care about its developers and really sees that one of their biggest values is that they are the platform that it is most appealing to design things on. Sure. Uh, so I think that that's that's what I see from it. I don't I don't think there's going to be some huge influx of submissions because of how easy Swift is that they're going to be overrun and things will be will take a long time. I just think it'll be, you know, more better apps. Uh, it'll be sort of subtle, but I, I I thought it was interesting that I didn't see almost any criticism. Uh, of like Apple coming out with a new proprietary Apple thing that if you want to make an Apple thing now you got to learn a whole brand new thing. Uh, there was I actually kind of thought that would be the the criticism immediately. Like yeah, I, I, expected I even a just lot listened to a couple of like general tech podcasts to just get a sense of what people are thinking because I imagine I really imagine that there would be like oh great now Apple owns all the code like now Apple can control this programming language shut it down like say we own everything that's ever written in it like I, not that I think that's what the Eula looks like but shouldn't shouldn't they be getting some more shit what, do we have to be the ones to do it andy <laughs> well i mean i don't know that it, it bothers me so much because i i'm not as close to it as maybe some other people are it's just interesting that i think that it's evidence of how important these tools are to people that are building apps and how broken some of the existing tools are that when apple was like we invented a whole new thing that it was primarily and almost exclusively excitement and not what do you mean I have to learn a whole new thing to continue doing my job? That's that's offensive and terrible. Uh, it's it's just, you know, mostly excitement across the way. There definitely was some criticism, but it's nowhere near as much as I expected. I expected a lot of, like you said, Matt, you know, how dare Apple come out here in their sort of ivory tower and decide there's going to be a whole new programming language and sort of force it on people. Um, it just, yeah, but they, well, they, they also didn't remove Objective-C, though. I like that's that. what I was going to say. Like, do, well, that might be short-sighted too, but go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, it they basically have started to give them options. I, I'm sure at some point they might say like, "This is the primary language that you want. We want you to write in, and then everything else like you can, but there's consequences." I think it's, by iOS 10, if you don't write it in Swift, you're out. Yeah, I don't, I don't think like... it's going to be very long. Especially, I mean, Swift can run Objective C inside of it, so. At the very least, they could say, like, everything's got to be in Swift, and if you wanted to, I guess you could build the entire app in Objective-C wrappers inside of Swift. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, my feeling is that they're definitely going to move away from it. I, I don't think it's going to be them. they're going to support both of them for the next 
10 years. I don't see that happening. Yeah, but I'm, I'm thinking of the bigger picture, though, because they're going to get to the point where it's widely supported for both OS X and iOS. I'm not thinking just iOS. It's also like the desktop platform. And there's so many other languages that are already supported, whether it be Ruby or C++ or C Sharp or whatever. Uh, and I don't see them... Um, removing any of the other options at this point, especially if they want to become more developer-friendly than they have been in the past, to introduce this and they say, like, okay, you can't write in anything else that you've been writing in, in you know, for 10 years. Like, I don't see that happening. I see them having a preference, but I don't see that having any consequence on somebody being able to submit and get an app approved. It is funny that Apple is the, the 1984 company and they've literally gone ahead and written their own language that they own, that they are going to force you to write the apps in. Like there is, there is a kind of dystopian flavor to it. If you want to add that to it, like there, it is, it is a weird thing to, to live in the future where uh, companies own languages, literally called languages, and that's how you communicate with the audience that you need to communicate with. Like they own every step of the process, and wouldn't if this were a couple of years ago, wouldn't we be all upset about walled gardens and even more upset about this? Probably, but I, that's what I'm saying. To me, it's just such great evidence that things were so broken that people are just like, yeah, maybe we needed somebody to step in and kind of, you know, throw everything out and empty the house and put everything back in the house again. Um, Even more 1984 stuff. Yep. <laughs> Dictator steps in because everything's broken. They uh -huh. say, hey, we're so we're so dismayed by all this stuff that you just take over and do whatever you want. What could happen? What could go wrong? Well, we'll find out, I guess. I don't mean to take no, it no, there. No, 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 no. Take oh, us no, there. Oh, no, you did. You did. There, are, there right are parallels. Take us there. I took us right there. So are you guys going to actually pick up and start learning how to make apps? I, I, I'm, I'm probably going to yeah. get back into I it. Kinda I kind of want to – I kind of want to at least do like dumb little apps just to get a, an understanding of it. Well, first because I just tried to do this with, with Objective-C, and now that I have the tiniest bit of understanding, I feel like, well, all right, this will be a little bit faster to pick up on a couple of things. It's brand new to everybody. And there's a little playground that I can actually see what I'm doing. Like my biggest hurdle is doing something, doing something new, totally wrong for a long time, and then not finding out until I hit run. Yeah. Like that's the part that is the learning curve. Because um, I can always, I always end up understanding what I'm writing eventually. It's just when I get to the frustration point of like, well, I don't, I don't know which part of this I screwed up. I don't know. Yeah. But if it's all live in front of me, I imagine that's going to change things. Well, yeah. And and that's exactly why I ended up like I I really haven't stepped in into any of the Objective C stuff because like I had I had already written in C plus plus and in Pascal a long time ago. But the reason I don't do it anymore is because I fucking hate the build process. The fact that I have to like write something, wait for the thing to bake, and then get results after that really bothers me. Especially because I've been so privileged with being able to just write something in like PHP or whatever and get like instant feedback on something I fucked up on, which is. You know, it, I guess that's, you know, as it, pro, it, it has its pros and cons. Uh, but I definitely think I'm going to be writing something in Swift at this point, especially with Playground. And I, I like, I've been toying around with the idea of starting up uh, to build a game for a while now. So I, this was the sort of thing Do when it. I looked at it. <laughs> really, Dan? Build a game, yeah. Dan. Well, no, no, this is like the perfect thing because I'm able to see like, okay, while I'm building this thing, is it doing what I want it to do? I don't have to waste a bunch of time. Like that's exactly what I wanted. And now that there's something for that, all I have to do is learn another language all over again. I don't want to waste a bunch of time telling a computer what to do. I want to learn a whole new language so I can work in a playground and see what I'm yep. to see that I'm wrong immediately. That's yeah. important. That is <laughs> that is logic. 
It is it is interesting that we've talked about new ways of of thinking about design tools, and uh, I don't think that this is outside of that conversation by any means. Like, I don't think that this is any different than an approach like Macaw or an approach like Sketch. Like, maybe this is just a different approach to a design tool in general. Um, it's not wildly dissimilar for things like Coda. Yeah, uh, it's just done in it's just done in more for a programming language than a structural language. But it could be interesting to see how it affects other. Even just general web design tools, if this becomes a more popular way of approaching them. One of the interesting sort of thoughts I saw on this was that someone said that Apple was building all the tools that we've all wanted on the web forever and doing it for iOS. Uh, and this was like the perfect development environment. Uh, and just the idea that that could, sign, that could have pry somebody away from their you know, platform of choice if it was in a development environment that was you know, particularly appealing. I don't know. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big change. And it's hard to explain to people that don't you don't program computers you're like who cares a new computer thing whatever why is this exciting uh but you know it's like the whole world kind of got a different lens on it now if you're doing this kind of work is it that big actually because because one i'm seeing this from as uh from the perspective of somebody who doesn't program all that much so i don't really know but you're surrounded much more by it than i am. I mean i, I don't program either honestly in, in ios apps it's just no uh, but i mean you're you have you have far more developers in your office than i do is what i'm saying so like yeah. you're i'm sure the atmosphere was much different it, it was a lot different and I, I don't mean to overstate it too at the same time it was like all right new thing and we sat down and said okay so how are we going to change any of our current projects and we decided that we weren't going to change any of our current projects uh based on the new language right now um, so yeah, it's exciting, but at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, you're still making apps. It's still all the same sort of logic and sort of, it's not going to make anybody a great app developer that wasn't a great app developer. It's not going to like totally change the ecosystem or something, but it's just, I think it's a small little excitement that you get to sort of have a new sort of set of tools that's sort of introduced to you. It'd be like if somebody came along and, you know, handed you a chisel for the first time and you never chiseled something before. And at the same time, yes, I know this is probably all the same tools, just sort of recontextualized and made more efficient and, you know, less sort of cumbersome. But I don't know. We're probably not even equipped to speak to it in any technical way. Just the idea that they get a new tool now seems fun. Yeah, no, I just mean, going back to the beginning, like designing programming languages is an incredibly interesting topic, even if I'm not really equipped to do that. I just love the idea of developing the syntax of a language oh, it's so and trying to make that it is it is a really cool concept makes me think of of, Bl of bliss symbolics too just designing language in general whether it's yeah exactly programming or exactly spoken language or written language whatever kind of language it's all very exciting i think of I, and i like and i like the scary part and the negative connotations of like what that can do to a human brain it's it's an incredibly interesting conversation to have i think if we just keep saying over and over again it's a very interesting conversation to have then people will think this is an interesting conversation we're having it's that's true it's, that's yeah. a really it's good very point. suggestive this that you're currently listening to is a very interesting oh, conversation that we are so having. interested so, so interested. lucky to be hearing this so interested <laughs> We got together to record the following segment in advance of our WWDC chat. We don't usually edit together multiple recording sessions, but I thought this was too important and significant to let pass without mention. Here it is. I feel like we have to address the, the death of Massimo Vignelli this week. It has happened. It, it was kind of coming, you know, people knew it was happening, hence the reaching out to ask designers to send letters to him, sort of talking about how they influenced him. But uh, it did happen this week, so we, we lost Mr. Vignelli. I, I I don't want to like do a you know, hokey or cheesy memorial thing. We don't we didn't know the man. We have no you know, real right to 
memorialize him. But I think it's interesting that, to sort of talk about how he maybe influenced us a little bit. I uh, I don't consider myself to be the kind of designer that is directly influenced by that kind of modernism. I thought Frank Schmerer wrote a really great post where he said that when he saw a Moss Meadow Valley talk in Helvetica, he like you know developed a grudge against him for being this stark, minimalist, brutalist kind of designer. But, you know, such an important figure in the field. And, you know, actually, I think he was one of the first designers I knew by name, you know, when I was a freshman in college and like, starting to read about the career that I thought I had chosen for myself. Uh, he was one of the first people that sort of came up. So definitely a big a big uh, hit to the community this week. Yeah, it, it, I mean, obviously in our office it came up a lot because I think everybody in the world called Michael Beirut for a quote about it. Yeah, I can um, imagine. Yeah, and he, he actually wrote a, a really great piece on Design Observer about... Um, his life at, at Vignelli Associates and then his last days there and then also kind of um, seeing Massimo for the last time. And I, I, I just have to say, in, in my own life, uh, he was probably like the first designer that I, I latched onto is like, this is what design is actually about, as opposed to I just want to make things look pretty. I mean, I think that's probably the, the, the reason I actually got that idea in my head and motivated me to want to kind of continue what I was doing in college. And... Um, you know, I actually saw him, I saw him speak once, um, and he came and sat in on a class, and he was, like, a very genuine guy. He clearly loved what he did. He's done amazing things. It was, uh, an, you know, it was incredible to see him speak. It was incredible to kind of um, even just, you know, I felt kind of, like, kind of starstruck to be sitting next to him uh, in a classroom. I don't know. I, there are very few designers I feel quite the same way about, um, and, you know, I didn't really know him at all just uh very briefly cross paths but uh, th- this one i felt more than most i think it's interesting too to think about how he is very much like a living legend or no longer a living legend but you know we're lucky to have lived at a time when people like him and milton glazer were alive it's it's crazy to me to think that you know our industry is kind of really young and they've been there for like almost all of it like they kind of invented it and you know saw it evolve to what it is today uh, it, sometimes these, these things feel like distant history and sort of having people like him and, and Milton Glaser and some of these other, um, you know, people that have been there for a really long time around, I think is a nice reminder of kind of how youthful this industry is. Yeah. And it's worth noting that, like, I think when he got started and, uh, you know, either Unimark or Vignelli Associates, like, I don't know if the world would have known what graphic design was. So whether you kind of agree with the the modernist approach or not, I think more importantly, his work in kind of bringing prominence to to what we all kind of do and love is maybe, you know, one of the most important contributions and kind of can't really be overlooked. There are very few figures that have done as much for the entire field. Yeah. And I I think the thing that struck me most when I got to understand who he was and, and what he did was he was like he was the one example for me where um, he had proven that. You could be a graphic designer, but you don't have to just stick with posters and brochures and uh, a lot of like the the typical graphic design things, like the how he made furniture and how he made you know like cups and all these other things and uh, tangential fields in design that aren't specifically graphic design. He still contributed to, and that was uh, that was a really big thing for me because once I saw him do that and see that he was able to kind of take his own thought process and apply that to many different kinds of things like that kind of proved to me that I didn't have to be stuck making just websites or just posters or, or, or postcards or whatever it was. And just the, the broad, you know, the broadening of design and that, that conversation I think we have constantly 
probably wouldn't even be it wouldn't be anywhere near the level that it's at without uh, figures like him who have worked in designing almost any medium you can imagine. And yeah, I don't think you can be a designer without being influenced through some transitive property uh, or benefiting from the work he did. So loss of a legend, truly. This has been On The Grid, episode 67. You can email the show, mail at onthegrid.co, tweet to us using hashtag onthegrid, or find us individually at Madam C, at Andy Mangold, and at Dan Auer. If you want to submit a link for us to talk about on the show, visit onthegrid.reddit.com. If you enjoy the show, please review us on iTunes. Thanks to Asthmatic Astronaut and the Cosmic Analog Ensemble for the interlude music and Girlfriends for the theme music. And finally, thanks to you for listening. Until next week. designer is a life of fight. Fight against the ugliness. Just like a doctor fights against disease. For us, visual disease is what we have around and what we try to do is to cure it somehow, you know, with design.